Labels. Society makes them. We all wear them. Some labels fit perfect. Some are the wrong size. Some are just plain wrong. Mom said I was a mistake. Dad didn't stick around. I felt lonely, scared, like I didn't fit in. Labels can be powerful, and some labels lie. Only God can give a label that brings hope, confidence, strength, freedom, a new identity, a label big enough to live in. Life gives lots of labels, but there's only one label maker. All right, happy Easter, everybody. Welcome to Liquid Church. We're glad you're here. Hey, praise God for you. Happy Easter, guys. Glad you're here. I am, I'm Pastor Tim, and thrilled you're joining us to celebrate Easter Sunday or Easter weekend. If you're new to Liquid Church, we're really um, a very welcoming, non-denominational Christian church. Everybody's welcome. I always like to say, you know, Protestant, Catholic, Jewish, Jedi Knight, you are welcome at Liquid. We're glad you're here. And, uh, and we actually are one church, but we meet in multiple locations all around the state. So that means right now we have several churches, what we call campuses, joining us. So let's give a big welcome to all our campuses joining us around the state. Glad you guys are with us. Great to have you with us. Today's a big day. Um, we are joining one billion Christians all around the world who are gathering to celebrate God's greatest miracle. That is the resurrection of his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's exciting. Uh, reminds me kind of of a funny joke. I always like to start Easter with something funny. Uh, I heard about this guy who took a trip to the Holy Land with his wife and his mother-in-law. And so they went to Israel. And as they were touring Jerusalem, the mother-in-law had, had a sudden heart attack and actually died. And so they went to the U.S. consulate, and the consulate said, well, there's a couple things you can do. For $10,000, you can have her body shipped back to the U.S., or you could just have her buried right here in Jerusalem for $200. And the guy said, uh, well, you know, let me think about it. I guess, um, you know what, I'm going to have her body shipped back to the U.S. And the consulate was like, wow, you know, that's $10,000. You must have loved her very much. It's a big difference in price. He said, no, <laughs> that's not it. He said, um, I heard about this guy who died in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, and three days later, he rose from the dead. I can't take that chance. I just can't take... I just, just, I'll be here all weekend. Thank you, thank you. I'm just kidding. Moms, we love you. Uh, today, we're starting a new series called Label Maker. Now, how many of you actually know what a label maker is? You ever see one? It looks like this. It looks like kind of, kind of looks like a phaser gun, all right? Now, in my house, we use a digital one, but this is the manual kind. And what you do is, if you want to label files or boxes, you kind of, you know, turn the dial, click, F-I-L-E, put a file, and then you put a label on whatever it is that you're kind of storing. Very helpful if you want to label files or maybe like your Christmas decorations, because when you have a label, it shows you without even looking what's inside, right? It creates labels. Now, that's very helpful, right? It's, it's kind of cool. It's so your life is organized. It's efficient. And at a glance, you can tell what's inside. Now, it's one thing to label boxes and files and clothes and stuff, but we also label people, don't we? Our world loves to label people according to their faults and their weaknesses. In other words, a lot of times we do this subconsciously. We kind of walk around and say, oh, that's, that's Robert. Uh, he struggles with depression. 
and that's W-E-A-K, weak. He's not very strong. He's a weak individual. Or Kate, that's Kate. She's lonely, so sad, L-O-N. You know, she's single, really hasn't found a man, you know, who will, who will stick with her. So sad, lonely. Or, or Megan is anxious, right? She has anxiety issues. She's always nervous, you know. Or even Bobby, oh, poor Bobby. Bobby is A-D-D-I-C-T. He's an addict. It's a, so tragic, you know. He can't seem to get his life under control. He probably never will. Labels, especially the negative ones, they have this way of like defining us and really degrading our humanity in a way that I think limits our potential. I mean, we all have struggles, right? But if you have faith, you have so much more because God is the ultimate label maker. Only God alone has the final say about your identity. And the reality is as Christians, in other words, those who follow Jesus Christ, we believe that God says, you know what? If you're weak, Jesus Christ can make you strong. Amen? He makes you strong. God says, I can give you my supernatural strength even in an area of weakness. If you're lonely, God says, understand you are loved more than anything you can imagine. Even when you're alone, I'm with you. If you feel uh, full of anxiety, God says, I can make you peaceful. I can give you a peace that passes understanding. God can even transform an addiction and turn it around into freedom through the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And so for the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to flip around what the world says about us and replace it with what God says. Because as your creator, God is the ultimate label maker. And he says, you know what? I love to transform labels and my children's lives with my love. So I want to invite you just to come back for the next few Sundays as we unpack these themes. But today on Resurrection Sunday, I just want to look at the greatest label of all that I think God loves to transform in somebody's life. Because the promise of Easter is this. Because of what happened on a cross and in a cemetery 2,000 years ago, God has the power to take men and women who are dead and make us alive in Christ. Amen? Amen. Alive spiritually, alive physically, even after we die. Just as God the Father did with his son Jesus on that first Easter weekend. God has the power to raise the dead and make us alive eternally. And that's incredibly hopeful news especially if you've, if you've lost somebody you love, maybe a family member, or you think about your own mortality. Today, I'm calling today's message, Dead to Alive, and I want to show you exactly what the Bible says about the resurrection of Jesus, and then his promise of resurrection to every man and woman who believes in him. Now, our text today is actually from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and this is a letter in the New Testament it was written by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote this to a, 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 a bunch of Greek believers in the city of Corinth. They had all sorts of questions about like, you know, hey, what happens after you die? We all have those questions. Now, you guys know in our culture, there are all sorts of like beliefs about what happens when we die. Some people believe in annihilation, right? Like when you're dead, that's it. You're annihilated. Your body goes in the ground. There's no soul. You just cease to exist. Others believe that when you're dead, uh, there's reincarnation, right? You come back as another person or as an animal. I've never had someone say like, I'm, I came back as a worm. Nobody ever says these kind of things, right? But the reality is even well-meaning believers get confused. I've heard a lot of Christians talk, think like, you know, I think my body goes in the ground, but then like, I think your soul sprouts wings and we fly around heaven like disembodied ghosts. According to the Bible, none of those are true. The Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 15 to clear up the confusion about what it means to go from dead 
to alive when you and I trust in the resurrection of Jesus. Here's what he writes. In verse 51, Paul says this. Let me reveal to you a wonderful what? A wonderful secret. He says, we will not all die, but we will all be what? Transformed. And then he says, it will happen in a moment, in the blink of the eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who died will be raised, what's this word? Alive forever. And we who are living will also be what? Transformed. Now, what kind of transformation is Paul talking about, right? Are we talking like physical or spiritual transformation here? The Greek word for transformed actually is to morph. Anybody see like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers? Remember that kind of, it's morphin time, right? The idea is that it's more, it's kind of like a caterpillar goes into a cocoon and then it comes out what? A butterfly. It's totally changed. Complete makeover transformation. And Paul illustrates this in verse 35. So he says, you know, someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? He goes, what a foolish question. When you put a seed in the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it what? Dies first. So Paul starts by saying like, okay, hey, everyone's excited this idea of being alive, but there's only one condition to being made alive in Christ. Here's the bad news. You got to be dead first, okay? You got to die. And it's funny, I was thinking this week over the last 12 months, it's been so sad to kind of watch so many famous people that I grew up with pass away. In fact, I remember on Christmas Day, my brother sent me a text on my phone, four words, the hair is dead. The hair is dead. And I knew instantly who he was talking about. George Michael, the famous pop singer, he was the model for the kind of hair my brother and I aspired to in the mid 80s, okay? We were like, that's what I want, you know? You know, he sang, I want your sex. I was like, I want that hair. It's awesome, you know? But I remember George Michael, you know, you remember that song, Last Christmas, Last Christmas? Who knew this would be his last Christmas? On Christmas Day at the age of 53, he's dead. It's been a very, very tough year for music fans. Prince is dead. The musical virtuoso died of a drug overdose at his Paisley Park Studios at the age of 57. Chuck Berry is dead. He died just a few weeks ago, 90 years old. One of the great pioneers of rock and roll, kind of a guitar legend, he died of old age. You know, it's funny, as I thought about all these music legends who died this year, not to mention David Bowie, Glenn Fry from the Eagles, people who had millions and millions and millions of followers, you'll notice that all those followers had one thing in common. None of his followers are claiming, no, they're still alive. Now, Elvis fans are another story, okay? There's another, that's another category. But almost everybody acknowledges, by and large, these guys are what? Dead. They're not coming back. But watch this. 2,000 years ago, a little-known Jewish rabbi named Jesus, he wasn't famous, he only had like a dozen followers, Christianity claims that Jesus was arrested. He was tortured, and then he was crucified on a Roman cross for the sin of blasphemy, claiming that he was God in the flesh. They put nails in his hands, his feet. They put a spear at his side, and they killed him. And they, everybody assumed that's the end of Jesus. He is dead. It's over. But the reason we're here today is that 72 hours later, a couple of his followers showed up at his grave on Easter morning, and this is what they found. His body wasn't there. The, the tomb was empty. Jesus' grave clothes were there, but, but Jesus was missing. Actually, notice something. The story that his followers spread, they didn't announce the news, guys, Jesus is missing. No, 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 that wasn't their message. 
What was the history-making, world-changing claim of early Christians? Jesus is not missing. Jesus is what? Alive. We've seen him. We've seen him in the flesh. Eyewitness accounts record how Jesus appeared first to Mary and then to, to Peter and John and then the 12 disciples and then 500 other people saw him alive. And here we are today, you and me, on Easter Sunday with one billion Christ followers around the world all proclaiming the same message. Jesus is not dead. He's alive. He's risen from the dead. Amen? That's remarkable. It's remarkable hope. Listen, because death is an unchanging fact of life, right? For all of us, right? Like even me, I understand this, right? Like at some point, someone's going to send a text, you know, to, to my family and be like, the hair is dead, you know? <laughs> Tim is gone. But watch, for those of us who believe in these two pivot points of history, the death of Jesus on a cross, his resurrection from the grave, death now is the doorway to new life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I've come that they may have life and have life to the full. So understand, the Bible's view of death is just very different than our world's. Here on earth, death makes people very nervous. They fear death because they're not sure what the future holds, what's on the other side. But Jesus says, no, 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 you can actually have confidence because I've been there. And if you trust me and you follow me, I will show you what my father has in store for those who trust him. This is an incredibly helpful picture. And what Paul's describing here in Corinthians, he actually basically is saying, hey, if you didn't die, that would be a tragedy. Because you and I would be stuck on this broken planet with these broken bodies for all eternity. He says, but someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? And he says, what a foolish question. When you put a what? What's this word? seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it what? Dies first. So Paul compares our bodies to what? To seeds, right? Now you guys know this. Um, it, it, when spring comes, what do you do with a, a bulb or a seed, right? What do you guys do who garden, right? For instance, this is a tulip bulb here. I got a picture of one on the screen if they'll throw it up. This is nothing special to look at when you look at it. But once you, you bury it in the ground, what happens, right? You put it in the ground, you wait a little bit, a little water, a little sun, and voila, right? <laughs> Something comes out that is incredibly different than this dead little brown thing that just got buried in the earth. And basically, Paul's saying, same thing with you. Same thing with your body. This is raised as beautiful green, pink, bursting with color and life. It looks radically different. The same thing with the physical bodies of Christians, the seed or shell that you and I have, that you're wearing right now, is one thing. But Jesus says, you know what? One day, what God will transform this into will look radically different. I will bring you to life, and you will burst with a vibrancy that you don't even have right now. And you might be like, well, well okay, how's the body going to be different? Paul gives a few ways here in Corinthians. Look at verse 42. He says, in the same way with the resurrection of the dead, our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they'll be raised to live how long? Forever. Our bodies are buried in, what's this word? Brokenness, but they'll be raised in glory. So the first thing Paul says is your resurrection body will actually live forever. That is, it will be indestructible. It will no longer be subject to disease, to decay, or to death. Our glorified bodies will be perfect. Praise God. Amen? Unlike our bodies right now that are, are broken, they're breaking down. If you just take a look down your row right now, just take a look down your row. Do you see any perfect bodies? 
point to the closest perfect, but no, don't do that. That would be, that would be weird, right? I know some of you, I know, even like the young people are like, well, I'm not awful, you know? Uh, now listen, even you gym rats who do CrossFit, you listen to me, you just watch, okay? As your body gets older, it's going to get more tired. It won't recover as quickly, and it eventually wears out, okay? I see some of the, uh, the senior members of our congregation. Some of you, I'm actually just looking. You're showing a little bit of some signs of furniture disease. You know what furniture disease is? It's when your chest falls into your drawers, okay? I just, I just, I can say, I just say, I just say, you got to laugh or you cry, man. All right, listen. Aging affects all of us, right? Right? I mean, people in this room, there are people with creaky knees here. There's bad backs in this room. We've got people, I'm not pointing, I'm pointing. You're losing your hair. Some of us are losing our waistline, losing our eyesight, right? And, and we all take great pains, right, to kind of neutralize this. We do Pilates, uh, CrossFit, hot yoga. We tuck and trim. We run marathons. I got news. You ain't going to outrun this, okay? You ain't going to outrun death. Eventually, we're all going in the ground, it's funny, my wife Colleen said to me, she goes, Tim, you know, we're in our 40s now. She's like, we got to start exercising every day. So, uh, so I started running, and I, like, I, I don't really like it, but, you know, some of you like, who are runners, you're like, no, 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 you, Tim, keep up with it. You'll get a runner's high. I'm not sure exactly what that means. <laughs> but if, like, a runner's high means throwing up a little in your mouth and then, like, collapsing, <laughs> I was stoned, okay? It's, uh, so... Uh, so I belong to a gym now. Well, let me rephrase that. I don't belong to the gym, at the gym, but I go there. And uh, I remember my first day at the gym, I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, all the machines are very complex and high tech. So I go over the corner of the gym, this one contraption, and I'm like, okay, look like you know what you're doing. You know, I start moving bars and like pressing things and all that. And you know, I'm, not, I'm not just lifting and moving stuff. This guy comes over and he's like, excuse me, sir, would you mind getting off the scaffolding? We have some painting we, we need to do, right? And so they give me this, this trainer, and he's like, Tim, you really, you know, if, if, look, you can't eat at night if you want to develop a six-pack. And I'm like, hey, who needs a six-pack when you got a party ball, baby, right? I'm like, come on. <laughs> Guys, this is life on our broken planet, right? Our bodies break down. Stuff that was once tight now jiggles. It's depressing, isn't it? Aging impacts every single one of us, and you can try to camouflage it or slow it down with Botox, but you can't stop it. Paul says that's the bad news. Our bodies will be buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in, what's this word? Glory. And the word glory just means brilliance or a reflection. In other words, our bodies will be glorified like the resurrection body of Jesus Christ. See, remember, guys, as a Christ follower, Jesus is your model. Jesus is your template. He's the prototype. Everything that happens to him then will happen. He's the first fruits of what you and I can expect in heaven. And what exactly was Jesus' body like? Because what what's our body going to be like? Well, you don't have to guess. The Bible actually tells us. If you look at Philippians 3, you get this sense of what Paul's talking about. He writes, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will, here's that word again, transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his what? Glorious body. Isn't that cool? So the, so the question is, well, when Jesus was raised to life on Easter, what was his newly alive resurrected body like? You don't have to guess. The Bible actually tells us. 
after Jesus was resurrected, I think people, a lot of people don't know this, he was walked the earth for about a 40-day period, and he appeared to the disciples, he appeared to 500 other believers, and during those 40 days, between his resurrection and his return to heaven, the Bible gives us several tantalizing snapshots of what his body was like and what your body will be like. The first thing you discover is that Christ's body was actually physical. That is, it was not a ghost. It was not a disembodied spirit. Jesus said his, his flesh was real, flesh and bones. In fact, he went out of the way to prove this to his followers. In Luke 24, the gospel says this, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them, that's the 12, and he said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw what? A This is the only ghost in the Bible right here, thinking they saw a ghost, but it wasn't. Look, he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It's I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. In other words, Jesus went out of his way to intentionally teach his disciples that his resurrected body and theirs and yours will be physical, flesh and bone. Not some disembodied ghost with wings floating around the clouds in heaven like some think. If you trust Jesus Christ, your resurrection body will be physical, as real as it is now on earth, but glorified, meaning enhanced to a degree that you've never experienced before. You know, I'm sometimes asked, by people, uh, you know, Pastor Tim, will, will we eat food in heaven? It's a very common question of Italians, Christians. <laughs> and um, actually, again, as Christ followers, you don't have to guess. You just go back to the Bible. You go back to the example of Jesus. He's our prototype. Well, what did Jesus do in his glorified body? Again, Luke 24 says he ate real food. While they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, hey, you have anything here to eat? <laughs> and they gave him a priest of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. And I think this is kind of like a playful side of Jesus, right? I mean, like the guy comes back from the dead and he's like, hey, I'm a little hungry. You guys got sushi or, uh, you know, fish tacos here? In heaven, you and I will have physical bodies. We will eat physical food. But here, yeah, praise God. I know, right? <laughs> Here's the difference though. Here's the difference. No carbs, amen? No calories. No diets. Praise God. Praise God. Literally, think about it, guys. In heaven, we will have none of the limitations that plague us on earth. There are no food allergies. There's no acid reflux. There's no lactose intolerance. You won't have to eat gluten-free, also known as taste-free food. Uh, just say, you will feast at the banquet table of God as it was in Eden. Eat freely for our enjoyment. I know some of you are like, I don't know, this sounds too good to be true. Maybe you have doubts. If you do, I want to acknowledge that first off, I'm glad you're here. We love skeptics. You aren't alone. Many of Jesus' followers, including a guy named Thomas, had his own doubts. In fact, he singled him out when he visited his disciples after the resurrection. Jesus said to Thomas, he said, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it where? Into my side. Stop doubting and believe. One of my favorite paintings of all time is called The Incredulity of St. Thomas by Caravaggio. And in the Italian master's painting, I love the surprised look on Thomas's face, right? As Jesus holds his hands and guides it into his wound. Thomas said, unless I see the nail marks, put my hand inside, I won't believe it. And Jesus is like, Thomas, go ahead. This is what alive feels like. Feel it for yourself. Go ahead and touch it. See, his glorified body still bore the wounds of crucifixion. 
Those are wounds that will actually never heal because they're glory wounds. Whenever we see Jesus, we'll be reminded of the tremendous love and the sacrifice of laying down his life so that you and I could live forever. He says, I did this for you, Thomas. I did this for you, Tim. I did this for you. I did this for you. I did this for you. You know what Thomas's response was? I love this. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. He confessed. He said, you are God in the flesh. And Jesus told him, because you've seen me, Thomas, you have believed. And blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Guys, you are part of that. You are even more blessed than Thomas because you have believed. We haven't seen, but we have faith and we have believed. The early Christians believed because they saw Jesus in the flesh. It started with Peter, went to John, and then to Thomas, and it went viral around the world. They, no lo- they had tangible proof that Jesus was no longer dead, but alive. Amen? More powerful than ever. My Lord, my God, he made that confession, which is important for you to make. Can I just say that? Because you and I never know when our time will come. Just ask my friend Alan. Alan's a young dad who visited our church last fall because his daughter actually started coming with her grandma. And Alan was kind of skeptical at first. He was actually raised Jewish. And uh, he was like, I'm not sure all this Jesus stuff is for me. And then he had a wake-up call, okay, a few months ago, actually in January. And in 24 hours, Alan went from alive to almost dead to fully alive in Christ. This is his story. I had a heart attack on January 28th. It was a Saturday. We all got dressed. We went to the state park and we came home about noon or so. And I said, honey, I said, I'm really tired. I need to take a nap. And I woke up three and a half hours later and I felt like there was an elephant standing on my chest. I couldn't, couldn't get a breath and I was in pain. He started to complain of all the symptoms that I knew was a heart attack. Before I could even finish telling my wife the story, uh, she had dialed 911. In my head, I was praying to God to just help me go through all this and give me the strength and to not let me freeze. I was too young to have a heart attack. There's no way that I'm ready to go. We have a six-year-old and a seven-year-old. We have a lot more left to do, and it's not my time. It's not time for me to go yet. My wife took me to the hospital. It kept getting worse and worse. My arm was getting numb. I was in a cold sweat. I was turning gray. I had moved to my side. I was hyperventilating at this point. The nurses are telling me to stop, and I couldn't stop. I just was getting worse and worse and worse. Not more than 10 minutes later, I'm having a full-blown massive heart attack sitting in the ER right there. I prayed and I told God to not to take him away because we have young kids and keeping my belief in God that he would help and help save my husband. I think my spiritual awakening really happened when Pastor Brian visited in the hospital. I shared my story with him, my personal testimony with him. and. He kind of shared where, where he has been, and um, I came to realize that, that he uh, you know, hadn't accepted uh, Christ into his life yet. I knew that God was moving, and I asked him if he was ready to accept Jesus to be his Lord and Savior, and he said yes. I felt this was the opportunity right now. I mean, Brian is here, he's a pastor, he's offering to do this salvation prayer to really welcome God into my life, and I said, what better time than the present? 
It was just the perfect ending to such a traumatic story, and it was overwhelming joy in the room at that point. After the prayer, I, I was moved. I was emotional, I was crying. Everyone in the room was crying. I was emotional too, because I knew that he was accepting God. The doctor comes out, he tells me, your husband's out of the woods. I was just relieved, I thanked God. I knew that he answered my prayers. And I have my husband and the kids have their dad. I started to be able to, 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 to live again. I felt like I was alive again. I felt like I was dying until that moment. So as a family, we've changed spiritually, and my son specifically has told me many times, I love that you go to church, Daddy. And that makes me so happy. And so if, if me going to church and me finding my spirituality has made my kids happier, that's just a side benefit of, of my spirituality being enlightened. The death to life experience brought a lot of hope into our family. We pray every night with the kids now. We say grace at the table. My husband comes to church every Sunday. He actually wants to listen to the Word of God. Every day I'm thankful that my husband's there, that we're a family, that we have another day. I almost died physically and I almost died spiritually. I had just started my journey. And now I have the opportunity to live my life with my family and start my spiritual journey in a way that I didn't expect. Is that not an amazing story? That's incredible. I want to thank Alan, his wife, Melissa, his kids. Guys, don't miss that. In 24 hours, one day, Alan went from alive to almost dead from a heart attack to fully alive in Christ forever. In fact, more alive than ever before because God saved him physically, saved his physical heart, but then gave him a new heart spiritually when he trusted in Christ. And it's not only Alan. He had three other family members pray to receive Christ in that hospital room. That's the power of God. Now, can I, can I add? Yeah, praise God for that. Let me ask you this, guys. What are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? Where does your assurance come from? What hope are you holding on to? I mean, think about it. You know, Easter... Easter's a tough time for, for some families. Maybe you lost somebody you loved. Your story turned out different. Maybe a father, a mother, or a child. For our family, Easter is always a bittersweet season. It was four Easter's ago that I lost my father to a 15-year battle with cancer. And my dad and I were very close. He's my role model. And for most of my life, my father was the rock of our family. So we call him the rock. He never missed a day of work in 30 years, okay? And in his prime, he was kind of a, you know, a strapping, you know, 230-pound guy who loved sports. He loved to laugh. But my father died a few weeks before Easter. And in those final days, I remember how striking it was to me how weak his body had become. In fact, by the end of his cancer journey on earth, his body was just a shell. I mean, it was like it, you couldn't even recognize him, you know. There was no strength. It was brittle. It was frail. It was drained of its power. And the closer he got to the end, the weaker he became. And I remember when he died and we had the funeral, we buried his body in the ground, just like a seed. But you know what? Because of what we believe, because of what God promises, we know that my dad, who trusted Jesus Christ for salvation, you know what it says? It says those who trust Christ are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in, what's this word, church? Strength. 
At the end of his life, my dad could barely stand. But because he trusted Christ as a savior, the moment he closed his eyes and stepped into heaven, he was alive with strength, more alive than ever before. Transformed, guys, and so will you. What a wonderful hope, amen, for hurting people. Guys, you have to understand this. In heaven, there are no wheelchairs. There are no walkers. There will be no more hospitals or oncologists or doctors or ICUs. There's no chemo in heaven. There's no radiation. There's no nursing home. Because Jesus is alive, you will be alive more than ever. So if you have somebody you love who lives even with a physical limitation or a disability, think about what that means to be raised and alive with supernatural strength. I often think of, of, of the hope this brings to paraplegics or those with MS, people who've known only chronic pain and suffering their, this side of heaven what they will experience in their resurrection body. They will, they will run, they will jump in joy in the presence of Jesus. Because I think, I think of Johnny Erickson Toddy. Some of you know her. She's a well-known author and, and artist. She's an activist for those uh, with disabilities. As a teenager, Johnny enjoyed riding horses, hiking, swimming, very, very active. But one summer, she actually dove into the Chesapeake Bay. The water was shallow, and she fractured the fourth and fifth cervical levels, and she became a quadriplegic meaning she can't feel from the shoulders down. And she tells how during two years of rehabilitation, she experienced anger, depression, suicidal thoughts, doubts about her faith. But Johnny put a brush between her teeth and taught herself how to paint. She does these beautiful, incredible artwork, just stunning. But what do you think the promise of a resurrected, fully alive body means to somebody like Johnny? Listen to what she wrote in her book, Heaven, Your Real Home. She says, I can still hardly believe it. I, with shriveled fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone spinal cord injured like me, or someone who's cerebral palsied, brain injured, or has multiple sclerosis? Imagine the hope this gives someone who is manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, new hearts, and new minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. Praise God for the hope of heaven. Amen. No matter what we suffer on earth, it will not compare to the promise of being fully alive in Christ. Guys, remember this. You and I are here 70, 80, some of us 90 years, and then eternal life, our real life with God begins. And you know what? A life with Jesus, you know what that means? It means it's a life without diabetes. It's a life without tumors. It's a life without MS. It's a life without HIV, without Down syndrome, without Asperger's, without bipolar, no depression, no pills. Those of you who work in the farm industry, you're out of business. I'm just telling you, Okay. <laughs> Guys, there's no special needs in heaven. Those who can't speak will speak. Do you know what that means? Do you know what that means to a parent whose child is nonverbal? They can't express themselves because of a physical or emotional limitation here. And in heaven, they will hear them speak about their love for Christ and for them. That's joy. Do you understand why heaven's full of joy? God's promise in Revelation will make sense to you. Revelation promises he will wipe every tear from their eyes. 
There will be no more death, read it with me, church, or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Guys, what does Easter mean? Easter means the death of death, amen? It'll be gone. Victory over the grave. It says, he who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything what? New. And he said, write it down for these words are trustworthy and they're true. Can I ask, do you believe that? Have you put your trust in that? Have you moved from dead in sin to alive in Christ by trusting his son, Jesus? Do you know, like my friend Alan does, beyond a shadow of doubt, he's like, Tim, the greatest freedom came from knowing my sins are forgiven and I have the hope of heaven when my time comes. Guys, it is Easter weekend and 100 years from now, I know something about you and me. 100 years from now, we will all be gone. Every single one of us gone from this room, listening to my voice, none of us alive on earth. And the decision that you make about Jesus now determines your destiny forever. Getting into heaven is not about doing good works. It's not about being a better person or anything that you do to prove you're a good man or woman. None of us are good compared to Jesus. There is only one perfect, sinless, good man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And what you believe about him on earth, did he really die on a cross as a substitute for your sin? And was he raised to life for you? That will determine your destiny in the life to come. And so as we bring our time to close, I just want to ask each of you directly, have you moved from dead to alive in the eyes of God? Because in God's eyes, every single one of us, no matter how good we are, we're spiritually dead. We're separated from him by our sin before we trust in Christ. But when you put your faith in Jesus as your savior, he says, I will make you alive spiritually now and in the life to come. As 1 Corinthians 15 sums up, it says, for as in Adam, all what? All die. So in Christ, all will be made, everyone? Alive. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I pray some of you are gonna make the choice to believe that today. I pray that some of you who have doubts, like Thomas did, We'll step across that line and put your faith in Jesus Christ today. hundred years from now, what you believe about him is the only thing that matters. And so I want to give you a chance to do that right now by praying a prayer of salvation. This is the way that you move from death to life in the eyes of God. You just open your heart like Alan did. You say, I know there's things in my life, but God, you come and cleanse it. And I believe Jesus died for those things. And so now give me his life. Jesus, come live through me. And I want to lead you in a prayer of salvation so that you could move from death to life on Easter weekend. Guys, this is how you become a Christian. And I'm going to lead all of our campuses right now just in a salvation prayer. So I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me. I'm going to invite you just to pray. And we'll pray together out loud. And you just, you can pray from your heart. But Easter is a perfect moment to draw a stake in the ground and say, I'm moving from death to life and trusting in Jesus. Father, I'm praying right now. We're going to pray, Father God, but I pray, Holy Spirit, I know you're speaking. You're convicting some people. Others feel the urgency of this. Father God, now minister the Holy Spirit. Come. Give them the courage, Father God. Fill them with faith right now to pray a salvation prayer. Again, with all of our heads bowed, let's just pray this together, and maybe it's your first time, but you won't be alone. So you just pray these words after me. They're not special words, but you just pray them from your heart. Say, Father God, I'm coming home. Father God, I'm coming home. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. 
Jesus, thank you for dying on a cross for my sins in my place and coming to life for me. I receive you as my Savior. Come into my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to live for you and with you forever. In Jesus' name. Everyone said together, amen, amen. Liquid Church, would you welcome new believers in the family of God? Praise God for you on Easter weekend. Big day, big reason to celebrate. Praise God for you. Welcome to the family of God.